All right, well, listen, we're going we're gonna, to, I want to unpack a little bit of, of Word today, and then, um, then we've got the, the big reveal. That's why we have balloons here today, by the way. I actually said earlier, I said to somebody, um, actually, was it Chris? I don't know who it was, but I, I said we got this big announcement. No, it was Elmer. Elmer said to me, I said, we got this big announcement. It's really exciting and stuff, and, and um, she, he said, oh, I never, never heard about it, never knew that we were given a big announcement today. And then he goes, are you guys expecting? <laughs> we are. I mean, I'm pregnant with the things of God, so we're always expecting. Uh, but uh, no, we're not expecting another child, but uh, we are expecting and going to experience some really good things. Take your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13. I want to read one verse here, and then we're going to kind of go through on a little bit of a journey, kind of almost from cover to cover, actually, pretty much from the index to maps today. Just before maps, and yeah. All right, let's pick it up in verse number 12. It says this, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when a desire or a dream is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. Okay. I think um, many of us would know what it means to live in a place of hope deferred because so, so many times it's like no matter who you meet, there's always, there's always a, a level of unfulfilled dream or unfulfilled desire inside of everybody, right? But the key is not to live in that unfulfilled desire or focus on the unfulfilled desire, but it's to, it's to actually believe for the fulfillment of the dream which is a tree of life. It springs up as a tree of life. Now, go with me back um, before this. Go right to the beginning of, the, of, your, of your Bible there, Genesis chapter 2. You there? Okay. Genesis chapter 2. And um, pick it up in verse number, um, yeah, verse number 8 says, now this is cool, and the Lord planted, the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. Uh, which, how many remember what the word Eden means? Pleasure, delight, bliss. That's what that word means. So he planted this garden, and it was a garden uh, of pleasure, delight, bliss. Woo-wee. All right. Oh, yeah, see, you just can't, like, there's, there's no way that you can experience Jesus and not have bliss in your life. If, you're, if your life is, is void of bliss, I question the Jesus you're serving. Wow. It's like Jesus made a way, well, we'll get to that, that's okay. Okay, could you just... Do something on my phone so it doesn't keep shutting off. I don't know how you do that. You all know how to do that? Okay. All right. So in verse number eight, let's, let's read that. So he plants his garden in Eden, uh, and he put the man whom he had formed, framed, and um, there he put the man. So he put the man in Eden. Verse number nine, and out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant in the sight or to be desired or, or good for food. The tree of life, somebody say life. life, life, also was in the center of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge, the difference between good and evil, blessing and calamity. So there's this garden that we see, and the garden is absolutely amazing, and um, it's this garden of bliss, 
That's literally what it means. Thanks, bro. Uh, the Garden of Bliss. And in the garden, then, there are, these, there are all these trees that are good for eating and whatnot. Then there's two trees. There's the one tree, which is the tree of life. And then there's the other tree, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I need you to understand something. And this is just my own personal uh, take on it. You can take it or leave it, whatever, you, that's fine. But I believe that uh, one of the reasons why... Um, Adam and Eve, when they were first created, weren't wearing clothes because there's no shame. It says they were both naked and knew no shame. And so they had no shame issues. But I also believe that it was God's glory and his his presence that just, they were just covered in in his glory and his presence. And I'm not going to... well, I also would even venture to say that, well, I, I think I can quite clearly make a case for this, that that moment that they were created and life was breathed into them, they were, they were living creatures, okay? And so at that point in time then, living human beings, and at that point in time, their spirit was, was one with God's spirit. There was no separation from, um, you know, from being connected with God. And even then, though, it says that God would... would, would um, talk with them in the cool of the day. They go for strolls in this pleasure, place of pleasure and delight, and, and God would talk to them. And that's really exciting, and that's nice. They go for long walks in the garden. And, but this, there was this ongoing, um, they didn't know, it was like this. Okay, so you know when you just feel something in your spirit, you know something to be true in your spirit, and then you maybe read about it in the Word, and all of a sudden it's like, Yes, I knew that already, but I didn't really know it. You understand what I'm saying? So you're reading, you're reading scripture, or if somebody comes and speaks to you, gives you, gives you a word, or, or shares an encouragement to you, and it's like, wow, oh man, yes, and you just, you, it just rings in you, right? Um, it was like that. Their lifestyle was ongoing with just knowing who they were, and knowing the union, and knowing that no separation, all that kind of thing. Their mind wasn't opened up yet in a, in a bad way, in a sense, because they were, just, they were just eating from the trees, and they were eating from, they were feasting on the tree of life. And so then we know the story. You see the story there. If you follow the narrative in Genesis chapter 2 and then into 3, you'll see that... Um, well, here, let's go down here. Let's, let's pick it up in verse 17, a key verse to, to uh, make note of. Verse 17, chapter 2, it says this, But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, blessing and calamity, you shall not eat, for in the day of it that you do, you shall surely die. So you, you got all this stuff, and then there's this other option here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God speaks that to them, and then Satan comes along, we know the tempter comes along, and he tempts, he tempts Eve, and he, and he says, did God really say that? So he, he gets her to question God's voice of truth in her life. Right? And so, of course, you know the story. It says that, well, we can, I, I think for, for, for the purpose of it, um, we should read it. It says there, it says, verse number 6, chapter 3 now, moving on. It says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate it and she gave some to her husband also and he ate. Verse number seven, this is huge because this is where a shift took place. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and then they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves uh, apron like, with apron-like girls. So then, then God comes along and it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam 
and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord of, of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to him and said, where are you? And he said, um, <clears throat> I heard the sound of you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We've talked about this whole thing about shame, fear, and control. Fear, shame, control. Uh, we've talked about that a lot. This cycle that, that people get into that was just initiated here in the garden. And then, um, and then the Lord says this. He says, well, who told you that you were naked? I think that's such a huge question. And, uh, and so anyway, so, but the, my point is this. So up until now, they've enjoyed this sweet bliss, their tending bliss. Their, their mandate was to extend bliss and be fruitful and multiply and spread this bliss all over the world. That was what their mandate was. Tend the garden, look after the garden. And so um, at this point then, something happened when they took the fruit of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, whereas before I would say they were, they were, their spirit was in charge in their life and their mind, their will and emotions were, were not ruling over their spirit as of yet. And so what happened then when they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a shift took place Boom, like that. And now all of a sudden, the mind was elevated above the spirit. And now everything that they, they were trying to sort out came through the filter of their mind, will, and emotions instead of their spirit. That's why when Paul, you know, that's why I think it's so beautiful to, to, to pray in tongues, to pray in the spirit. Because when we pray in tongues and pray in the spirit, uh, our mind is unfruitful, but our spirit is being edified. It's like this whole thing. There's a, it's like a shift that takes place, and it's kind of like we're getting things back in order again, you know, and uh, there's so much more we could talk about that regarding just praying in the spirit and speaking in tongues and that sort of thing, but, and so this, this, this thing happens, so then Jesus comes along, and well, well let's just keep reading, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, um, let's go to Genesis chapter 3, now pick it up in verse 23, it says there, therefore God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So now instead, of, now instead of enjoying the garden, he was sent out of the garden and he had to now till the ground and it was the toil of his brow. It was a striving, an effort involved in, in his life. His life now where before it was just like tending and enjoying bliss and, and, and how beautiful it is. Now it's gone to toiling and working and thistles and weeds and all that kind of stuff. And then it says here, it says, so God drove out the man and he placed him east of the Garden of Eden, the cherubim and flaming sword which turned every way to keep and guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so now they're separated. Now they can't, they can't eat of that tree of life that they once ate of. They're separated from that. And the word, when it uses the word cherubim there, fiery ones like angels, it's not just a singular setting. It, there were probably several uh, cherubim that were there with flaming sword guarding the way to the tree of life. So now the, the enjoyment that they had, they've been cut off from that and they went from a place of abiding to a place of striving and as they're out here striving, they're like, oh, so I long for, to be able to get back to taste of that fruit of the tree of life. And so it's almost like this. It's almost like this was Proverbs here where they were enjoying the tree of life, they were enjoying dream fulfilled, desire fulfilled and then they got cut off and they, they got into this heartsick place because it was hope deferred. Now the thing that they once tasted of, they're not tasting of. And it's like, man, I wish I could get back to that. But I can't. So it gets better. It doesn't end there. So then you see this happening. So let's go now to Hebrews chapter 10. 
you sometimes wonder why God uses certain words in Scripture, and um, it's because he's always, he's always painting a picture. He's always making a complete picture. Um, he's, he starts something, and we think, well, how come there's no resolve here? And then he brings in certain words that actually bring total resolve to the very thing you were hoping that would get, get resolved. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. It says here, uh, chapter 10, verse 19. It says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have full freedom and con- confidence into the Holy of Holies by the, power, uh, by the power and virtue of the blood of Jesus, by this fresh, new, and living way which he initiated and dedicated and opened through the separate curtain, the veil, the Holy of Holies, that is, through his flesh. So now, now we're, we're seeing here that Jesus now came along And Jesus became the way that was once guarded. It's the same picture that you're seeing here in in Genesis in the Garden in Eden. Now he's saying Jesus is the way. And then go with me then to, let's go to um, John 14. In John 14, pick it up in verse 6. What does that say? Hmm? I am, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way. So now Jesus is speaking this out. He's saying, guys, what's happened is the enjoyment of the things that that Adam and Eve once had, first had. See, remember, it's cyclical. I'm bringing it back around. He's saying now that way to the tree of life has been cut off, but now I am the way. I am the way. Now, in the, after Adam and Eve were cut off from the tree of life, we know the story of the Holy of Holies, the outer court, the inner court, the Holy of Holies, um, you know, the holy place, and the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant resided. Interestingly enough, in that room, the Holy of Holies, it was a lot smaller than the other parts of the temple, but in that place in the Holy of Holies, there was no natural light because they didn't need light because it was just the Shekinah glory of God, the brightness of God's glory that was in there that was the light. You go outside that and you'll see like, you know, the, the lampstand and various things out farther out from the Holy of Holies. But guarding the Holy of Holies, guarding the way was a prophetic picture, which was the, the curtain that guarded the way into the Holy of Holies, which was four to, four to six inches thick. So about the size of your hand like that, 60 feet tall, no zipper, no, you know, parting way to it. It was a solid piece of material. And on top of that material was embroidered uh, angels, cherubim, with flaming swords. So the, the, the mind of the people that, that saw this knew that um, this was a picture of what was originated in the Garden in Eden, you see? <laughs> and so, so, so Jesus comes on the scene then. So they're used to that. Their minds are like that. And, and all through the, but God was gracious and he came and, he, you know, he had covenants that he made with them. And, but there was this obedience thing that had to take place. And, and uh, Jesus comes and he's saying, it's still too difficult. Because no one's going to get it. So I'm just going to get it for them. And then they just enter in through me by faith. God's heart for every person in the earth is not to live a life of striving. Anytime you add any kind of striving onto the gospel, you're going antichrist. That was heavy, wasn't it? That was a little, I say that in all sincere love, but, but to say that you have to add something 
completely insults the work that Christ did on the cross. Because what, what happened was, we know the story then, Jesus was the lamb that was slain, and as he dies, as he dies, what happened? There's a great shaking, and then that curtain that was separating everybody from the intimate presence of God was torn from top to bottom, indicating that there was no human way. It wasn't torn from the bottom to the top, it was from the top to the bottom. And the priest wasn't up there on a ladder 60 feet high saying, okay, let's get this thing, give me a knife, give me a knife, you know. No, it was ripped open. And then the writer of Hebrews here says that you may boldly enter in. You can just go right in. And so, so this whole picture of this tree of life and guarding the way is, um, is really interesting. And then, so in their minds, it was like very, very uh, vivid knowing what was going on. Okay, let's go now to Revelation chapter 2. So in Revelation... Uh, chapter 2, there's this message that comes to the church of Ephesus. And um, if you want to look and see how this church was birthed or planted, you need to go to Acts 19. And in Acts 19, it describes what was happening in Ephesus. The, the, church, the, the church in Ephesus was planted and birthed out of God just shaking the place and moving and just amazing things happening. And then he, he talks here, the message is, to the angel of the church, the assembly of the church at Ephesus, right? These are the words of he who holds the seven stars, which are the messengers of the seven churches, in his right hand, and goes about among the seven golden lampstands, which are, which are the seven churches. And he says this, he says, I know your industry, I know your laborious toil and trouble, your patient endurance, and how you cannot tolerate wicked men, and um, how you've actually tested and critically appraised those who call themselves apostles, and have yet found them to be imposters or liars. And so he's, he's talking to this church saying, you guys are amazing. You've been doing a good job. You've been, um, you've, you've got, your, your discernment's pretty good because you're, you're saying, no, no, that's not right. That's not right. Recognizing when something's false or this or that and that sort of thing. But then he gets into this meat of this sandwich here. And um, he says, I know you've been enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you've not fainted or become exhausted or grown weary. But I have this one charge I make against you. And this is, the, this is the big kicker here. He said, you've abandoned or you've left the love that you had for me at first. And you've deserted, deserted me, your first love. Wow. God appreciated the fact that they were, you know, they could sort it out and see who was fake and who was real and where deception was trying to creep in and this and that. But he said, you know what, that's, that's really good, but get, get this. You're not doing it now from a place of love. And so he says this, then he gets even a little bit harder on them. And he says, remember the heights from which you've fallen. Repent. Change your inner man to meet God's will. And do what you did at first, when you first knew the Lord. Or else I will visit you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you change your mind and repent. Wow. So there's this major, major... Uh, rebuke that happens to the church here in Ephesus. And uh, we know that all the churches that you see in Revelation uh, could be, you know, symptomatic of people's hearts today. It's not just like one single church or whatever. But, um, and I guess the message that I want to convey, and that is this, that 
you can have all the answers for everything. You can say, well, that wasn't good, that wasn't biblical, that wasn't that, and have all these defenses against different things. You know, there are actually ministries out there, and this just blows my mind. I watched this clip of a video, and I thought, are people actually buying into this? There, there are ministries out there that have entire conferences to try to disprove or discredit other ministries. Yeah. I, I'm blown away by it. I'm like, are you serious? You know what's interesting, though? Always follow the way of love. If you want to find out the real deal, follow the way of love and see what happens. Because <laughs> every ministry that this other ministry has this conference, and they, they, every year they have, and, and hundreds of people go to this conference. And they have panels where they just sit up there, and then they show video clips from different meetings, and then they bash what's going on and saying how that was false and that was wrong, da 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 Okay, but the, the wild thing is, is that you'll never find anything on, I haven't yet, maybe you can. Actually, no, I dare to, dare to say you probably will never find it. The people that they're bashing never bash back. Isn't that wild? And so he's talking to a church here that's, that's, that's the mindset is, you know, rights and wrongs, and this is good, that's bad, and, and you've, you're, you're, you're hanging on, you're going for it, you're, 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 doing, you're doing good, but the issue is your heart's not in the right place because even if you prophesy or cast out demons and your heart is not in love, you're just a gong show or a clanging cymbal or a squeaky gate, right? And um, so anyway, so, <laughs> so then he says this, though. So this is really cool. He keeps on going and he says this, um, verse number seven. He who is able to hear, let him hear and give heed to what the Spirit says to the assemblies, to the churches. To him who overcomes and is victorious, I will grant to eat the fruit of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Yeah. So he's saying, you know what, guys, you need, to, you need to get back to your first love. And in that place of your first love, that's where you're an overcomer. I mean, I'm an overcomer in Christ, okay? It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's, it's Christ in me that gives me the victory. He is my victory. So if I'm in him, I'm in victory, right? So we know that this is not talking about something just in the sweet by and by. He's saying now, you can overcome now by turning into your first love and saying, Father, forgive me for I'm doing all this stuff, but my heart's in the wrong place. And so as you do that, then he says, okay, it's all good because now you can come back and you can eat of that tree again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's go to John now, John chapter 10. And... Um, as we were praying this morning, um, this was brought up, and I was kind of chuckling when it was brought up. <laughs> but in John chapter 10, uh, we often quote, which is one of my favorites, we often quote, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came, Jesus said, that they may have life and enjoy life abundantly, okay? But if you go just the verse before that, he unpacks something, and he's connecting it back again to Eden, bliss, garden, tree of life. He says, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. And he will come in and go out and find pasture. Freely, find pasture. Pasture, green pasture. Talking Eden. Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's talking that same thing. This whole concept is always going back to the place where it all began. In, in Eden, where it was heaven on earth, you know. And he's saying, 
he's saying, this is where I've called you to live. This is Jesus made, even though the way was guarded back to the tree of life, Jesus came along and said, I'm a new living way. Enter in through me. You can come in through me back into, you know, you pasture in and out, in and out. You can go in and stay in if you want. I don't know. <laughs> but he, he made a way is what we're saying, right? So now we're not waiting for something else to happen. It's already happened. It's already done. But you get to choose where you live by, do I engage in it or do I live out? So um, hope deferred, when I'm living out here in this striving realm and just, man, how come nothing ever goes well? It's just not happening. And I get it. There are pressures and there are testings. But uh, Paul said in Galatians, he says, don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you faint not. Okay? And so, so there, is a, there is a dream fulfilled, a desire fulfilled, which is a tree of life. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll go into a few other things here. Um, let's go to Psalm 24. So we know that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the ladder. But it's actually, um, if, if Jesus is the way, Jesus is the door, Jesus is the gate then, and I'm in him and he's in me, then what does that make me? A door, a gate, a ladder. You know, he said, Jesus said in John chapter 7, uh, you know, um, believe in me as scripture teaches, and out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And he was saying, you know, he was speaking of when the Holy Spirit would be outpoured, because he was going to the Father, send the Holy Spirit. And, but the, the issue is, it's like, because of Jesus, because of the cross, we already, we now live in a time, that's why there was none greater than John the Baptist until now, but even the least in the kingdom will be greater than him, because now we have access to this life the whole time, all the time. And that's why I say, we're not waiting for another event to happen, although we love moves of God, revivals, and neat things that happen, and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not satisfied until I see people living in, in their potential. In, in who they really are and what you really carry, you know. Uh, I'm not going to sit back and wait for something to happen. I said quite a while ago, I think I said, I'm not waiting for another event. We are the event. Like, you are the event. You're it. We know that we have gates. We have, we have like, um, you know, the, we hear of the eye gate, the ear gate, the nose gate, the mouth gate, you know, all those things like that. And how many have heard it said, be careful with what you put in the eye gate, because, you know, right? And uh, Jesus came along, though, and he said, actually, he said, it's not what man puts in his mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of his heart. Whoa! So Jesus was talking about this because um, this issue of, and, and we read it in Revelation there, it's that issue of the, of the first love. And uh, the biggest gate that you have in you is um, in your inner man, and it's that love gate. We've, we've talked about this in years past, haven't we? And uh, God is, he's, he's got you to a place now. He made a way so you can come in and go out and find pasture and have pasture. He's now made a way so that you could experience even greater communion than Adam and Eve did. 
because of what Jesus did. And so now our choice is, are we going to live in the, the hope deferred and focus on all the issues and problems? Or are we going to say, no, even in the middle of a desert, there's a stream. Because I have the stream. I, I am the stream. The stream is in me. I don't need to wait to drink from someone else or something else or another outpouring. I've, it's been poured out. It's done. I carry it. It's in me. Although we love outpourings. We love it when, you know, I love, I, don't get me wrong, I love all that kind of stuff. But I'm not waiting for something to happen. Jesus said, you can live in me. You don't have to, in me, there's no deserts in me. There's just desserts. <laughs> in me. And so, in the last little while, in the last little while, um, like, say, last six to eight months or whatever, we've, we've been in a challenging season. I shared a little bit about that before. We were, it was like, you know, sickness in the family, you know, things that were happening with things in the church, uh, all different levels of, I mean, in, involved in the accident, the motorcycle accident, all that kind of stuff. All, on all different levels, it was just like, dear God. And when all that kind of stuff is happening, it's really easy to live in hope deferred. It's real easy to you know, days and days where we'd say, we've got to encourage ourselves in the Lord, you know. What's the, one of the best ways to encourage yourself in the Lord is to pray in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Because, because what happens is, as I said earlier, my mind is unfruitful, but my spirit is edified. Build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. And so what happens is, even though I might not feel it here, I need to, I need to shift things in my life I don't want to walk under that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want to tap into the tree of life that I know I, I have. He's in me, right? And so in, in the middle of all that, it's like, oh. But though it's like we read it earlier about with Joseph. It says, I believe it's in Psalm, is it 103 or 104, where it says, until the time that the word of the Lord tested him, he fulfilled the word of the Lord. So the word of the Lord was testing Joseph, you know, God's word. Matthew talks about the seed and the sower, <clears throat> the seed of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom that goes out. And it said, when affliction came on account of the word. So the word will test you. The word will, you know. And um, so that's why I think what God likes to do is he likes to, it's, it, it's this walk, this thing. It's like, am I going to choose to, he likes to say, where's, where's T-Dog going to, what's he going to do now in this situation? Is he going to be concerned and, and focused on the natural? Is he going to be focused on what's happening here? Or can he actually, in the middle of all that, find a place of rest and eat from the tree of life? Here. Uh, because this is where dreams fulfilled come. This is, where, this is where what was birthed in the secret place, what was planted in the secret place, will be birthed in the secret place. And then it'll be seen for everyone to see. And I'm like, oh, but this is really hard, and it's been hard. I mean, I, you know, it's like, it's tough sometimes when in your life when you're not seeing the fulfillment of things that God said would happen and promises that you had. And it's like, oh, oh, this is tough. Jesus, really? And in that time, he's saying, like, like, we all know that the most powerful place of warfare is in rest. 
And so it's that battle to enter into rest in the middle of all the stuff that's going on. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Whew, that's where that is, over here. My cup runs over. He anoints me with fresh oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the bliss forever. Ooh-wee. Yeah. So let's look at Psalm 24. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Maybe uh, somebody wants just to go out and get the kids. We'll bring them back in. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the currents and the rivers. Who will go up the mountain of the Lord? Or who will stand in his holy hill? He who has clean, clean hands and a pure heart and has not lifted himself up to falsehood or to what is false or sworn deceitfully. Verse 5. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, of his, the God of his salvation. For this is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Selah. And then here it is right here in verse number 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you age-abiding or everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Yes, lift them up, you age-abiding doors, and that, so that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And what's happening here, right here in the bottom of this scripture, where, where uh, David is writing, he's, he's pouring this out, he's actually having a conversation between his mind, will, and emotions and his spirit man. Right at the end there. He's like this, he's going, lift up your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, so that the king of glory may come in. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he goes like this, he goes, who, who is this king of glory? Like there's, it's, a, it's like a battle that's going on between his spirit and his soul. Who's this king of glory? I know the Lord, strong and, and mighty. Who, who is this king of glory? And he, he's, he's battling like this. He's going like in, out, <laughs> in, out. And he's like, no, no, I want to live in here. <sighs> Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up ye everlasting doors, so that the king of glory may come in. How's the king of glory going to invade your workplace? He's going to invade it through you. Everywhere I go. Hmm. Ha. Who is this king of glory? Yeah. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong in battle. Ah, uh, come on. Are the kids here yet or no? Not yet. Oh, they're coming. So how many have in your life, you have some dreams, desires, um, you have aspirations? Well, let's just do this. How many would say that, that right now maybe you're, you're, you're battling with hope deferred? Is there anyone that would be brave enough to say that's you? Because, I, I mean, I have my hand's up on that one, and uh, it's, been, it's, it's been a battle, you know, hope deferred, and it's like, hmm. You know how it says makes the heart sick? One of the biggest keys, the reason I connected that whole thing, and I think John talks about it in Revelation, was because the whole thing about the sick heart is connected to staying in love. 
And so if you stay in love, you return to your first love, you stay in that place of softness. And how do I stay soft? Well, I stay soft by when people say things against me, I bless them and forgive them. That there's no offense in me, you know. I bless them and I forgive them. Father, I release them, I bless them, I forgive them. They owe me nothing. Okay, so that's one way of keeping your heart soft, not getting critical. Uh, but in this place of love, it says there, it says, repent, turn from your, turn from, return to where you have fallen, the heights to which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Return to your first love. And he who overcomes, you'll eat from the tree of life. And he's connecting, he's, he, there's a connection there between love and heart sickness, being sick, needing healing, Oh, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. No offense in my heart. And it's out of that place like that that God just loves to go, boop, dream fulfilled. I'm, I'm convinced that probably one of the greatest ways to live a life of fulfillment is to keep, to keep your heart sweet, to keep your heart right in the middle of all the stuff.